John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 810.1CH1633, certificate number 27581, Mother Earth's Plantasia. This was actually going to be an entry about women's suffrage, a listener request. Can we go back and... And do that instead of whatever this is? <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not against women's suffrage. Sure. I wanted to sing, look, I wanted to sing the song from Mary Poppins. Everyone wants to hear me sing the song from Mary Poppins. You know this. Oh, now that you've said it, I think it, that's how we have to end the episode. Uh, we will do that show, but I realized as I was getting my notes together that this is actually, this show is actually getting released on 420. We're going to uh, go, this is going to go into the time capsule on 420. I thought you were going to say, this is our 351st episode. Well, that's actually what I was looking at. <laughs> I was about to say, this is our 420th show. And then I looked right. and I was like, wait, that's 70 off. I was no. like, is he, is he doing this in homage to the Ford uh, 351? <laughs> yeah, finally. No, this is our 420 show. Thank God. And I'm so glad that you're finally recognizing 420. Well, it's one of our most important holidays yeah. and observances. That's right. Um, 420 p.m. at 420. So maybe you want to hold off on listening to this till a certain time of day, if you know what I mean. We used to celebrate it at 420 a.m. as well, but that's advanced stonership. <laughs> like you would actually get up early. You, you're not still no, up. We, no, we no, 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 you're not still up. <laughs> You all, you all go to bed early like kids on Christmas Eve. You set your alarm. You sneak downstairs. Set your alarm for 415 because you got to be ready. Blearily wake and blearily bake. Uh, and of the two I, of the two shows I wanted to do, uh, Mother Earth's Plantasia sounds a lot more appropriate for 420. It's a very omnibusy sound. Mother yeah. Earth's Plantasia. It's the name of the omnibus um, weed store we're going to open if, to fund the the uh, time capsule if, if the Patreon goes south. It sounds like something that hippies would like fry and eat after their children were born. Oh, I see. You want to yeah. get the Plantasia. Yeah, get a little the, bit of... <laughs> it's full of iron Ugh. and vitamin K. <laughs> hippies. Do you do you have a... What would you call your uh, weed store? Have you thought about this if you were to open one? Oh. In, in newly, newly progressive Seattle? You know, it never occurred to me to come up with a name for my weed store. I'm still like very much locked in the game that we have around here, around the house. You know, we used to play There's You. 
right. which is one of the great games of all time. It's a classic. And there's you, you know, it's also sometimes can be like, there's your boyfriend. But offensive. Yeah. But since um since COVID, of course. Should, shouldn't you explain there's you? You I, I, maybe you talk about this on your eight oh, other shows. No, I mean there's you is just when you're out in the world and you see something or buddy. It really it can be anything. Broken broken down fire hydrant. That's right. Uh, you just point at it and you say to whoever's next to you in the car, there's you. And it's endlessly hilarious. Uh, and especially if it's a person who's wearing like a ridiculous hat or somebody that's um, that's just clearly like, look at, the, you know, what you would normally say, like, wow, get a load of this guy. Instead, you say, there's you. And then there's the, su- the surprise. All great comedy has an element of surprise. The person turns to survey the, the scene, recognizes the focus, and then realizes that they've been burned because well, there's you. There's is always, them. They should know they've been burned. There's you is never a compliment, right? <laughs> it's never like a supermodel posing in front of a <laughs> shop window. It's always, yeah, it's always a three-legged dog or something. And sometimes, especially once the game has evolved over the source of or over the course of many years, um, it it takes on this tremendous nuance where you know there's you can just you can point. Is it, it ever incorporeal forms? Like if somebody's talking about, um, you know, a, a vague sense of dread or something, do you ever say there's you? I, there, there, it has gotten um, impressionistic at times, right? Like there's you and the and it's just the sky filled with smoke, but um, but but then you know it roots itself again in in the real. Uh, but since the since COVID, of course, we don't go anywhere. We're never in the car. Why would we go any place? I mean, the only reason you get in the car is. To go to the dentist, I guess? That's I it. I, That's the one exception. The streets been, <laughs> are full of people going to the dentist. I haven't been in a car in months. And so there's you. It's It doesn't play anymore. So it's... You could just pick things around the house. There's you. The blender broke. Yes, you did that last week. But we know we know all those. Uh, we know everything broken in this house, including primarily me. <laughs> um, but it's, it's transmogrified into... Um, into... Uh, yes, yes. What is the new game? <laughs> the new game is um, when someone says any combination of ridiculous three words. You know, if somebody says, oh, the toaster is on the fritz, you say, you're a toaster on the fritz. Like, uh, that's, that's a bad example because you, you shouldn't have to say the word the. Uh, if, if you say like, oh, there's a, you know, there's black mold in the walls, you say you're black mold in the walls. Right. And it um, it has become one of the great games around the house because you kind of have to wait for the coinage, right? You can't just it, – it's gotten to the point where anytime someone says something in our house like black mold in the walls, there's this pregnancy because everyone hears it. it. Yeah, you hear it in the room and it, and it feels almost like shave and a haircut, you know, like Roger Rabbit. You, you – you're all bursting at the seams. Who's going to say it? And now, of course, and I'm trying to train my daughter to understand that not saying it can be can can create even more comedic, uh, like pregnancy. That that in and of itself is is hilarious uh, because you know surprise. It has to be surprise. You can't just say it about everything because she went through a phase where she you know she would say it forty times a day. All each funnier than the last. Yeah, and really trying to like land the joke over and over, and 
My kids do that with your mom, but they don't actually. Do. I don't know. Is is it always an insult in your house, like the black wall of mold? Because we just my kids like it for the most arbitrary sentences. Like if you were to say, um, I, you know, those tomatoes are in the pantry, but somebody accidentally put them in the crisper, and you're not supposed to refrigerate them. My kids will say, "Your mom's in the pantry, but she was in the crisper because you're not supposed to accidentally refrigerate." You know, like they'll yeah. do the whole sentence. Yeah, and we do that too. That I think my daughter was very interested in learning about burns. Because she had a bully at school a couple of years ago. Who was zinging everybody? He wasn't zinging her. He was just he was just a true bully, oh. right? Like a rude uh, and insulting and like, you know, a quiet bully who would who would whisper insulting things. So and she I, needs to Yeah, and I tried to outwit him. I tried to say, like, here's how you get a bully like that. You use wit. And here's how you use wit. Like you 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 burn him. And she was like, what is this burn? And I was like, well, burns are one of the great magic powers of, of, uh, of bookish people. And so I've been trying to teach her burns, but it turns out that burning people is a, is a subtle art, right? Because, for the burn, because you can get burned by, by trying to like unleash a bad burn. The burn turns around. And the, you know, a seven-year-old may not be equipped to see the subtle shades of right. what makes a great burn. You don't want, you know. So, so in trying to explain to her, like, you don't, you don't want to do a burn that you don't have, you don't want to attempt a burn you don't have full control over because. Uncontrolled burn? Well, or just the burn turns. It's like Apollo 13. Yeah. You, you, you have to, you, you have to know every way that the burn could get turned around on you and be prepared for that also. So the, um, the game, like you're a, you're, you're a, you're a black pudding, uh, that is trying I'm you know we're using it to try and teach her like the the subtle art of of uh, of burns and it's you know it's a, it's going to it's the, the the education of my daughter it's going to take 3 or 4 years probably you may have you may have taught her a weird kind of burn that will not translate to the schoolyard can you imagine her <laughs> <laughs> you're a black pudding you're an extinct dinosaur <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're a piece of broken chalk <laughs> Um, yeah, so you don't have a, you don't have a weed store name all ready to go. No. And it's one of the, I mean, I, I definitely for years have said, well, that was my nickname in college, uh, which is a good one. Anytime somebody says, yeah, like, wow, this is a real, this is a thick piece of pipe. That'll be on omnibus out of context. (laughs) (laughs) Every time you say that was my nickname in college, but I don't, I, I, I wasn't walking around. I know that you're really good at that. The, the musicians, Paul and Storm have uh, a game, which is, you know, um, that was my blank cover band. Yeah. So you say a thing and they're like, <clears throat> oh, that was my Steely Dan cover band. But over the years, I've watched them do it enough that I know that they have patterns that they look for. There's really know. only five ways to do it. Yeah. I mean, if <clears throat> you can say Steely Dan and you can say John Fogelberg or whatever, but like they don't have... All these things are just patterns. It's patterns. Like right. the, what are the, there's a tiny number of just abstract, crazy geniuses whose brains are wired differently who can actually come up with some new joke approach or sensibility or format you've never heard everybody else is just like doing pattern recognition you know you have you have a kind of wit that i don't have which is the wordplay wit like i don't do much wordplay. oh yeah the, the weed store should be a pun john exactly john <clears throat> i mean i have cannabis Oh, that's good. So it's 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 too easy. Yeah, cannabis. Should I open cannabis? 
Well, I, it could I, be a bus. It could be like an old bus, an old this, school bus that I've repurposed. This game is also name your Thai restaurant, right? Oh. Uh, or name your Vietnamese, name your pho restaurant. That's good. Yeah. F- pho is better for um, naughty puns. Uh, yeah. Uh, There's know, only six names of Thai restaurants. But and, a lot and of them, Thai in them. Yeah. And they're, they're, I guess the Vietnamese restaurants are very naughty. Right? I don't like it when they're English puns. Like if it's Taiwan on or, or what, what, what's the pho example? Pho, uh, pho king, right? Yeah, right. Or Phantom of the Opera. So that's, not, <laughs> yeah. that's not actually one. It says one. Pho and then it says Ntum <laughs> of the of the opera. They they have Pho and they have Samtum. No, you you're right. When you see a when you see a, a Thai or or a, a, a Vietnamese restaurant that has an English pun, it's, it's like come on. You definitely feel like you're gonna see non Vietnamese pan- people yes, in the you're, kitchen. You're pandering to me with that. Yeah. It's, it's, instead of just trying to make the beautiful, authentic. Uh, Fruits and dishes of your homeland. Something. It's definitely the one you'll see in a in a in a mini mall, rather <laughs> than the the one shaped like a boat. Mother Earth Plantasia is not a uh, pot shop of any kind. Is it a pun? I don't get it. If it is, well, it's kind of a pun. It's plant plus Fantasia. Oh, okay, okay, Plantasia. Sure, <laughs> you I thought th- it was placental. <laughs> well, but that's just because you you read a few letters and kind of got a little bored yeah. with the word. <laughs> well, this has three syllables. I mean, you, tell, tell me how it comes out. You often have an omnibus topic where there is a word that um, that was coined, but coined in the 18th century and and based in the Greek. This is this is a more recent uh, <clears throat> this is a more recent coinage. Yes, and it's uh, well, that's a good question. I wonder if I wonder if anybody used the word plantasia before because plants have been faddish. Plants come. And go. Sure, we did the uh, we did the the fern. Oh, episode sure, example. Not, not That's a ago. great example because during you know the same kind of um, interest in uh, new and exotic parts of the world that produced fern. What do we call it? Fern fever. Yeah, fern in nineteenth century England, kind of led to the whole you know just an obsession with all tropical plants. Suddenly, the wealthy would have their hot houses and their orangeries full right. of um, palms. Full and- of, yeah, exactly. Palms and banana trees, exactly. Coffee and pineapple, and you know all these things you couldn't grow in uh, England with its awful, smoky, dismal weather. Have you ever had? Have you ever lived in a house with a uh, with a, a greenhouse element? No. Sunroom, even no. Well, yeah, my parents have a big sunroom in their house now, and uh, and it's nice, you know. It's it it kind of has, it has this quasi indoor outdoor, and the, the the Victorians would do the same thing. They would fill their parlors with um, you know big spreading fronds and leaves of all kinds. Yeah, it feels like a Sherlock Holmes villain, <laughs> right? That you enter his. His manor and it's all wicker furniture and yeah. How come palm the good trees? the good people back then never had that? I guess there's some strong anti-colonialist vibe even yeah. in those stories written by terrible colonialists. Like yeah. they knew it was more evil to have a house full of uh, rattan than to not. Yeah, r- rattan being the the ultimate signifier of of uh, ill repute. Um, but plants came back in the late 1970s, the 70s, 80s, kind of in a big way. Like the, if you think about mid-century America, you know, Eisenhower era, the new frontier. Which I do every minute well, you, of every day. You're trying to create it in your new house. I am, yeah. But that was, you, you will not be able to buy, you should not buy too many houseplants because that was not a time of, you know, uh, big dangly vines and things hanging from macrame no things in the corner of every room. It was white sugar and and uh, and white bread. Yeah, it almost might have seemed a little unhygienic to well, have like things sure. growing in your 
in your house, you right? Need, you need bugs or dirt. Right. You've got, yeah. The, the opposite of clean. And your, your, uh, your white closeted husband comes home and spends all weekend clipping things back to make the outdoors look more like the indoors. Right. He's got a topiary dinosaur on his front lawn. You don't want the indoors to look more like the outdoors. But in the 70s, we started letting our body hair grow, and the corollary to that was just ficus everywhere yeah man i don't i don't know if, what, what the fashionable plants were but well f- uh you remember in the 80s um it was a derisive term for a certain kind of yuppie restaurant yeah the fern bar right right i've thought about that as an omnibus episode but i could never really get a get my toes but that's kind of the establishment co-opting what was kind of an anti-establishment you know oh right of I, course i'm your fun cool hippie aunt, and i've got a million plants did you ever know anybody that had one of those giant uh, hanging by macrame, giant terrariums that had, you could see the layers of dirt and then it had uh, some kind of plant. No, but world. I'm jealous. I, I, I had a friend whose mom had, in, and this would have been in the mid 70s, a, a bunch of those kind of hanging around the kitchen, um, uh, big globes yeah. full of dirt. Yeah, big, big, uh, yeah, big dirt spheres hanging around the kitchen. Yeah, it was a big, big time for that. Macrame, always macrame and element. It, macrame, right? And it got normalized enough that today, it, you know, it's it's normal for everybody to have a couple house plants that they try to keep alive. I have a dozen. Do you? I'm Mr. You houseplant. Are you good? What I mean, my way of of caring for a houseplant is when it starts to wilt, I water it, and then every once in a while, I stick one of those little fertilizer posts in the dirt. Um, so I'm not great at it. But houseplants are resilient. I have a I have a Christmas cactus that belonged to my dad that we've had in our family for thirty years, and we we had a jade plant um, that did not survive. But the jade plant was a full tree, like the the um, the pot that it was in was a was the size of a basket that you might find in Mesopotamia. <laughs> I mean, it was a giant plant. We um, you know we kind of switched to. I think Mindy believes she will always kill every plant, but we've switched to, we have these two just unkillable plants that we don't really like very much, but we're... Are they cactuses? No, we we actually killed the cactuses. It turns out <laughs> you can't just leave them on a shelf and, and treat them like uh, plastic hotel lobby cactuses. Right, you have to care you, for them. Once a year, you have to water them or something. But we do have some succulents that that we water maybe every once a month, that's and fair. that's well within our skills. And these things up on the shelf, they just... They just drape leaves everywhere, and there's there seems to be nothing we can do. They they're surviving despite us, not because of us. We bought one recently called a Z plant, which is a new fashionable plant that someone brought back from South America, and it seems kind of unkillable. They advertise it as unkillable. This seems like it's going to start uh, eating people in your plant shop. It's a beautiful thing, right? I I feel like giving someone an orchid is the ultimate curse. And I get them periodically. It's it's my birthday or something, and so, and it's usually from a neighbor, not from a friend. You're supposed to keep it alive? Yeah, who's like, here, I got you an orchid, the most difficult plant to care for. <laughs> and you It's know, a challenge. It's like, it's like uh, seasoning your cast iron pans. If you go online and say, how do I season my cast iron pan? You'll find 900 websites of these guys with, um, you know, with leather aprons on. Telling you, like, here's how you do it. It's very simple. And it's not at all simple, really. And keeping an orchid alive is the same thing. There's so many digests of how to keep your orchid flourishing. And And they all disagree. If I look at an orchid from across the room, it wilts and dies. I don't know. And, you know, my my daughter's uh, mother slash 
partner, not my daughter's partner, but mine, um, her father has orchids all over the kitchen. He keeps them alive, but he's a very meticulous man. That's who, you know, that's a signifier in detective fiction as well. The, the, the old meticulous guy with a house full of orchids. Orchids, right. The, oh, yeah. Oh, that creeps me out right away. Yeah, like Sam Spade or Marlowe shows up and is like, look at this weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's probably some level of homophobia there. Like, oh, old old colonel whatever with his orchids. Little his little orchids. light in the loafers. Yeah. I guess. I, I'm not sure. Maybe maybe a 30s reader wouldn't have seen that. You know, there's Mr. Miyagi, of course, who's who's taking care of his he's got, little... He's got bonsai. His bonsais, which feels... Does that, that doesn't feel, that feels not weird, right? To you, have bonsais? You mean it doesn't feel like orientalist or? I, I, well. It, it's a, an old Japanese American man could very well have a bunch of bonsai, so. But if, if I had, a, if I had a couple of bonsais and I was always over there with tiny little surgical scissors clipping No, off it's little, okay. It's more like model railroads. Exactly. Yeah. It's it, something that we imported, but immediately goes into the, the painting of Ronan category yeah exactly yeah and you could use it you could have your dnd campaign go under the big tree it could be like lothlorien <laughs> we got dylan a bonsai tree once because he was m- momentarily interested in them and of course it immediately died because he was only momentarily interested in them i was interested in turtles when i was in high school uh, and this uh, is my other kid <clears throat> i it's I, a new reptile every yeah, week i really really wanted a turtle and then i had a friend or not he wasn't a close friend but i went over to his house and he had a box turtle and in interacting with the turtle and the kid for just a very short amount of time, I realized, oh, this turtle is a huge burden. Not a care, not a burden of care, but a psychological burden to realize. <laughs> just like, a bummer. <laughs> well, this, this turtle is going to live to be ninety. And I, my friend Joan has a turtle that she, uh, a turtle that she's had since she was a little girl, and she loves the turtle. It's like her familiar sits on her shoulder and it whispers in her ear. <laughs> um, but this turtle, whose name is not Sydney, what is the turtle's name? I mean, the fact that I know Joan Shelley. Turtle's name. All turtles are named Shelley. Uh, this oh, that's nice. See, that's the kind of wordplay that you're you're famous for. Oh, I think it's really true. People do name their turtle Shelley, thinking they're the first one to think of it. <laughs> you know the the story of the turtles that were painted. Their shells were painted in the World's Fair, and then they the paint inhibited their growth. And they, yes, yeah. But this tur- Sheldon. Oh, there it is. It there is a, it is. It is a shell pun. And you know what? I never made the connection until now. And Jones Turtle Sheldon is... And you said Sydney. Somehow Sydney Sheldon was in the yeah. the depths of your brain. I think of Sydney Sheldon a lot. But, you know, she, but she takes... Well, it's because of our Sydney Sheldon book club. Oh, right. Of course. We our, were, our other podcast. <laughs> we, were, we were just talking about him every week for the last year. <laughs> Um, the story of Mother Earth's Plantasia is actually the story of a guy named Mort Garden. This was requested by my son at dinner the other day, by the way. And I said, what podcast did you hear it on? He was like, nothing. I was just going down a Wikipedia rabbit hole. So is and he, I said, perfect. Is he pledging to Omnibus at the $100 level? Because when did we start doing, uh, shows that were suggested by our kids? Uh, he did, um. Cause I would do a Dark Vader and the Empire every week if <laughs> we allowed it. Thrawn. <laughs> Uh, he, uh, Dylan's doing DoorDash now, so he has, he has money. Should I make him give it the $100 level? What do you mean he's doing door? Oh, because he's, he has his driver's license? Well, he's, he's delivering 18. food? I think you have to be 18. He's, he's driving around with, uh, 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 uh little plastic tubs full of pad thai. You're kidding. When uh, did he start? When did one of your kids ever get a job, first of all? <laughs> well, but what? No one's more surprised than me. <laughs> what does he use the money for? To buy Minecraft add-ons? I'm not actually sure what he, my daughter really wants the money, I think she has things she wants to buy, but nobody will hire her because she's um, 
14 right. and the man will hire her. Uh, That's whereas, why he can't tax the rich. Whereas Dylan is 18 and he just has no, I mean, he, I think one of his friends started doing it and suddenly had a ton of money. Oh, right. And, you know, he knows we're not going to be lavishing stuff on him because we think he should get a damn job. Exactly. Uh, it's that Protestant work ethic. <laughs> that's right. Well, you were about to say that Kate had killed a lot of reptiles. Is that true? No, she hadn't killed them. She's always requesting a, a different kind of reptile. She's you know? so goth. There's a month of, oh, she is. There's a month of her wanting a turtle, then a month of her wanting a snake, and then a month of her wanting, a, and, you know, and we always say, all you have to do is feed your fish or ever walk the dogs. Well, oh, you know, we'll see. Burn. We're, we're on pretty solid ground, I think. <laughs> In not, in not adding a new phylum a boa to the house. Um, but I looked up uh, Mort Garden, this guy Dylan mentioned, who I'd never heard of. And he is has one of the most interesting careers of any 20th century musician. His name is Mort Garden? Yeah, like all the great... Uh, oh, that's that's true. That's a little on the nose, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, jazz musicians are named Mort. Oh, I lied. It's Mort Garson. Oh, never mind. Garson. Uh, he is not... Garçon, he's not French, although he is Canadian, but he's like a child of Russian Jewish emigres who, you know, as you do, went from the shtetl to New Brunswick, I guess. (laughs) They used to, they were just uh, crab fishermen back in the Ukraine. (laughs) Famous Ukrainian crab market. Um, And uh, so he's born in the mid-20s in uh, his parents' new home in New Brunswick, and he is immediately uh, just an incredible musical prodigy oh. he can he can do everything you know he just sits down at a piano and never takes a lesson and can just play anything he hears on the radio which is infuriating yes because i feel like i would like to have that kind of shortcut to talent right me too my grandmother was like that you could name any song and she would just sit down and play it you could sit and whistle the refrain of a song just like or you know whistle the melody and she would sit at the piano and immediately begin to play the song and uh, no one knew how she did it, and and it's just she was a uh, she was a prodigy. No, it didn't translate to any of the rest of us. I, You're I a musician, yeah, but I can't sit and play. I can barely play my own songs. She, uh, my dad is, yeah, took a few months of lessons, quit because he was, you know, off on doing something else, and then, but he he can he do the same thing. He'll just sit down and I mean, it's for him. It's more like he actually took the time to figure out the chords and play yeah. with fake books and. Um, but yeah, it's, it's annoying to me, not because I've had to work hard for that same thing, but just because I feel like more, I shouldn't have to. Right. Um, there are a lot of things you can do that other people can't though. Oh, I, I'm not, I'm not complaining. Yeah. I'm, I'm very blessed. Yeah. Hashtag blessed. But, um, but Mort went to Juilliard and, uh, after serving in World War II, he, you know, he found that his services were in demand on both coasts because people could see this guy can do it all. He's a conductor and he's a writer and an arranger and, uh, uh, singer and he can play keyboards. And so he becomes one of the leading session musicians of the kind of mid 20th century. Um, These were the Steve Allen days too, where the the demand for somebody to sit at the piano and just kind of chat. And and that was his thing. You know, he would, his credits are like a ton of Doris Day and Mel Torme records, you know, soft top. You'll also see him on, um, you know, he, he, uh, he plays on Paul Revere and the Raiders records, and he hmm. did the string arrangements on um, on By the Time I Get to Phoenix mm-hmm. by Glenn Campbell. So that, you know, it overlapped with a certain kind of soft pop. But, you know, he, he it was straight out of this kind of 50s lounge thing where, um, you, yeah. know, he, you know, you just needed somebody to kind of 
do easy Calm. listening chords at the piano. And in fact, he uh, sold a lot of records by doing easy listening arrangements of, um, you know, if you bought a bossa nova record in during that fad, it was probably arranged by him. He had whole records of um, kind of Muzak arrangements of Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel songs. Um, he was guitar George and he knew all the chords. He did. Uh, seemingly with no effort. He wrote um, three hits, or co-wrote. He wrote the music for three hits with a lyricist. Two I've never heard of and one I have. Dynamite by Brenda Lee, no idea. Theme for a Dream, Cliff Richard, no idea. Sorry, British people. Um, but he wrote, co-wrote, and this was probably what let him retire in 1963, Our Day Will Come by Ruby and the Romantics, mm-hmm. which maybe you... Our day will come and we'll... It's on your playlist every time I'm over at your house. It comes through your Sonos. As soon as you walk in the door, I play. I play Our Day Will Come. I, I keep oh, thinking wait, is get, it my theme? I keep thinking you'll get the message. <laughs> it's like a doo-wop kind of a... The Ruby and the Romantics were kind of an Akron R&B group with... Did I just say Akron? Like you did. To rhyme with Dacron? You did. Akron. Yeah, that's what the city is going to be called in the future. Akron, Welcome Ohio. Welcome to Akron, citizen. <laughs> um, so you you know you know uh, Betty Lee and the Wichamacallits, but you don't know any, you don't know a single song by Cliff Richard? Well, I mean, I don't know theme for a dream. Um, I feel like Cliff Richard, if you're British, you know. Right. It's like Robbie Williams. He didn't, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like they, they kept trying to make Cliff Richard happen over here, and it never happened. Um... But uh, so he has this, he has this remarkable career in just kind of lounge piano and arrangement. In 1967, he's also interested in the the technical side of music as a session musician mm-hmm. and spending a lot of time in the studio. In 1967, he's at an audio engineers convention and he happens to meet a guy named Bob Moog, oh, who Bob I think Moog. I'm sure has come up on the omnibus yep, before. We've talked about him. He has just invented the first commercial synthesizer. Um, which, you know, I was, and I was looking at pictures of Mort with his Moog and, uh, I guess I'd never realized how unwieldy the Moog is. Like it's, it's not, uh, not portable. I was picturing the mini Moog of the seventies where everything really was kind of packed into a keyboard with a panel, kind yes. of like the synthesizers my dad was playing in the eighties or, or Flock of Seagulls was playing. With, got your pitch wheel. But the original Moog was just a wall full of components, like one of those, um, like one of those European, uh, circuit kits you get. Yeah. And you had to decide, well, I'm going to plug in the this filter to this generator to this amplifier, and and then I, you know, I'm going to plug in this joystick, and that I'll do the pitch wheel with this joystick. Like it wasn't like it did have a keyboard, yes, but there was also a bewildering array of. Have you have you ever played on one of these old? <clears throat> I have seen them, and you know the the little mini jack patch bay element of the big Moog. Uh, don't think it was mini jack. I think it was quarter inch, but the the. It was a fashion in the 90s, 2000s to make a little Korg that actually had a small patch bay. Um, But the thing about the Moog is that before the mini Moog was invented, when there were these these giant apparati, when you heard them on albums, I mean, there were albums, it's like the theremin, there were albums that were made to showcase this instrument, which were not really like pop music not not anything you'd put on and then when you heard th- it's this very, very hurtful to hooked on bach yeah, which, which which i play every time you walk into my house <laughs> tubular bells <laughs> uh but then uh music for airports which have you ever listened to music for airports in an airport it's, oh no it's very effective uh i i put it i used to put it on when i would go to airports and put my headphones in and listen to music for airports it's just like wow okay i put, I put, I it, on, it. I put it on for dinner quite a few times after we did that uh after we did that entry Oh, you did? On, on Eno, yeah. It's, it's, I actually like it for, um, yeah, kind of 
keeping the kids chill. Yeah, it's gro- it's groovy, but but it really chills you out in an airport. It you know closes out all that CNN yelling. <laughs> but uh, but when the Moog would appear, the real Moog would appear on pop albums. It was never. Uh, Did it fit? It, it was never an essential sound. It was always an effect. Novelty. You know, it was it was like pan, it was like panning when panning first came came into being, and you could hear the pan as an effect, and you're like, hmm, we. It took you out of the song. The yeah. song, but later, you know, after the mini moog, of course, moogs on pop records are ubiquitous or were. Yeah. Uh, so Mort was Mort Garson was just fascinated by this new technology, and he liked the unearthly sound of it. You know, Moog came out of theremin. That's why yeah. he got into electronic music. And he, you know, um, Garson loved the unearthly quality, but not because of kind of its space age. You know what we associate with early synth, which is kind of a, a futuristic, forward-looking thing. He liked the creepy theremin kind of thing of it because he was he was a bit of an amateur occultist. Oh. Like he started putting out these kind of spooky, unearthly, ethereal records under names like Lucifer and uh, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> subtle, right? Yeah, subtle. Lucifer. Lucifer's first album, and uh, he had, didn't he have some other? Ataraxia, you know, he had, you know, just for this kind of new age meditation, you know, he, he wasn't trying to, um, he didn't want your kids to be sacrificing goats or whatever, but Ataraxia was the third Santana record. (laughs) So he was making, well, this was the era of the hi-fi too, right? So there are all these, all these dads with, with tube amplifiers, big headphones. Yeah. Sitting at home with their reel to reels, looking for something, uh, some something spooky to play to to really feature their their high end Macintosh equipment. Sure, and this is where you get Wendy Carlos hooked on Bach, and then eventually, well, Prague, and then it's all downhill from there. Yeah, but um, Mannheim Steamroller, exactly. Christmas music. It all turned into Christmas music. <laughs> the two best genres, Prague and Holiday. Um, but you know, Mort was a very early adopter because he had just met Moog at this trade show, and so he releases the first album on the West Coast, recorded on the West Coast that has a Moog synthesizer in it, you know, in the, like around 67, 68, you know, before the, before the Beatles or anybody has, has, you know, started to experiment with electronic music. And so he becomes associated with these kind of unearthly bleeps and blorps. And it turns out to be an amazing career move because suddenly he's the guy that you go to for that kind of music to the degree that, um, when, uh, Apollo 11 landed on the moon, the, I think at least one of the U.S. TV networks backed the footage with his kind of theme music. He was the John Tesh of oh. of, of uh, eerie moon music because he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll make you a little boop, 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 boop. <laughs> and he started to get work in movies doing the same thing. He's He did the soundtrack for – this guy had the most amazing career. He did the soundtrack for Beware the Blob, Larry mm-hmm. Hagman's uh, directorial debut, I think, mm-hmm, and maybe mm-hmm. maybe lone, maybe lone uh, credit. Um he uh, one of his he did the music for a, a version of Little Pr- the Little Prince that um, Richard Burton read that won a Grammy, um, and of course he kept in addition to these you know one for him one for me these sellout projects he was also doing his own little Lucifer stuff like the he did bub. for yeah exactly he was trying to bring about the uh, the arrival of the Great Beast by um, for, like for A and M Records he did twelve different kind of new AG albums each about a different sign of the zodiac. Oh yeah, ser- like ah, here's here's the bleeps and blurbs for Aquarius, right? Um, the, the murder albums, and he, I guess he sold a lot of copies of music for sensuous lovers, which is a, a genre I'm not really aware of. But it was like you could they realized they could sample 
kind of um, moans and groans into Moog music. And then and, filter them in such a way that it masks. Yeah. So, so you'd get kind of a, you know, it's not Barry White, but it's a, a very overtly sexy kind of uh, electric orgy going on in your hi-fi. Right. An aural uh, pheromone where you're... Aural sex. Yeah. Oh, boy. <clears throat> uh, and so he is now the king of, of, of this kind of a thing. You know, he's... King he, of the thing. He's gone from being lounge bossa nova guy to being, um, you know, the guy who knows where his pitch wheel is. And, um, the arpeggiator was a big invention in this, in oh, this yeah. moment. You want to hear, you want to hear, you want to hear classical music, but you want to hear instead of chords, move that chord around. <laughs> hey, John, I can, have you uh, been keeping up with the new t-shirt uh, designs? I think that the, that our current t-shirt designs are so awesome that I don't want them to expire at the end of the month. I want them to go another month. <laughs> they are continuing throughout the entire month in which you are listening to this. Hooray! That's for sure. If you haven't looked at the designs, you can go to omnibusproject.com slash store where our current t-shirt designs reside. This month, there is a... Two omnibus classics. So it's a chick tract mm. inspired shirt with a fictional omnibus theme. It looks really good. It's kind of drawn in the plausible style of a chick tract. Yes. And it looks great. And I like this one too. There's the peachy folder, which instead of the normal, what are the normal athletes on a peachy folder? Let me see. There's, there's the tennis. There's the basketball. There's the football. There's the batter. There's the skier. But this one has, this one there's has, well, this one runners. has you playing rugby. Uh, this has me, what am I even doing? I'm interviewing, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm metal detecting for, uh, what do we call this? The floating feet, the Vancouver floating feet. Oh, the classic fifties sport of metal detecting for feet. Or maybe I'm interviewing them. I have like a mic. Like I look like a, I look like I'm doing a fifties man on the street interview with the floating feet. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's cool looking in, in any case. And then there's a bear holding a missile. I don't even know. How does that relate to Omnibus? <laughs> and our the famous mascot of our show, Bear Holding Missile. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you love him. You know you love him. Uh, these are very cool designs, thanks to our friends at Mediocrity. They are super cool, and I think they are. Uh, they really exemplify what Omnibus is all about. And if you're wearing one out in the world and you see someone else coming through the rye wearing an Omnibus t-shirt, you'll know, fast friends, perhaps... Life partners. And in fact, it's required to do one of those jumping chest butts. Oh, yeah. Even if the pandemic is still going on. I'm sorry. Even if you can't jump. <laughs> right. Even if you have a half inch vertical, you Pro- still got to try. Propel yourself at the other person by whatever means of locomotion you choose and collide with them. If you enjoy Omnibus and you are not wearing Omnibus shirts, you can check that out at omnibusproject.com slash store to see what cool things are available. And uh, going forward, there will be new T-shirt designs there all the time. We kept these over just because they're so great and demand has been so high. In 1970, Joel and uh, an ex-TV writer, an ex-Gilligan's Island writer named Joel Rapp, I guess, burned out of TV. And he and his wife, Lynn, opened on Melrose a shop called Mother Earth's Plant Boutique. He was he was kind of an early adopter of this new age um you know, yoga and vegetarianism, you know, it's an age of all these get in touch with the earth kind of counterculture elements that we've talked about. 
many, many times. Ad nauseum. I was about to say ad nauseum, but no. No, I loved the whole Earth Catalog show. It was a classic. <laughs> What's weird is there are still shops on Melrose. <laughs> to this day. Uh, and and be, like many of the shops on Melrose, this he got a hip clientele. Like every celebrity came in because he would always have the weirdest new uh, fern or bamboo or whatever it was. Right. And he was just in time for this dawn of, um, we love the earth so much. We're going to put, uh, weird jungle plants in our houses or in our, um, Hollywood Hills courtyards or sunrooms or whatever. Yeah. A- Anthony Perkins came in every couple of weeks and <laughs> bought a new palm. Got, got some weird carnivorous plant. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, it, it was exactly the right era for this. I, I, while I was doing this, I was like, when, did like the swamp thing get created? You know, when did DC Comics decide there should be a, a a supernatural plant fighting crime? And it turns out it's the same. It's the year after Plant Boutique opened, nineteen seventy one. No kidding. Both and it, uh, the funny thing is, um, Marvel Comics had its man thing. It's it's uh, brooding swamp creature made of uh, vines and tubers. And DC Comics two months later rolled out Swamp Thing, its own. Brooding Bayou Creature. Made what, of when was Little Shop of Horrors written? Oh, that's interesting. So the original movie, the Roger Corman movie, I think is early 60s. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the idea of turning it into kind of a schlock thing that's more about exotic plant culture is... Um, that's true. So there, I guess that it is, it's a 1960 movie set in an exotic plant shop. But it's a weird, grimy New York subculture kind of a thing. Right, 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 right. New York, so it's... Down on Skid Row. Yeah. But this is... L.A. is now the center of our culture, and houseplants are back, baby. And this also coincides with a rise... And, you know, the the idea that um, plants are important because uh, we must love Mother Earth, and mm-hmm. what if... what You know, the, the idea that there's... A, what if there's a, a Gaia, Gaia theory that all of, all of nature is linked into one interlocking semi-sentient web of life. Yeah, right. They, the plants can feel it when the, you yell at them. Exactly. So that's what comes out of this, this idea, this kind of this pseudoscience around what if plants are people too? This was a, this was the source of my science fair project in yes. 1975. You did one of these uh, play heavy metal to your plants or that's whatever, right? right? I, I absolutely did it. And, and um, I can't remember, did Black Sabbath make the plant throw or The die? problem was I didn't have exposure to that many kinds of music so i was playing classical but then i don't know elton john it's not like elton john is gonna hurt a plant's feelings it might it's gonna make a plant feel like yeah have some cocaine honky cat kind of hurts my feelings does it oh sure i didn't realize that very sensitive Uh, yeah, so all that generation of kids playing music to houseplants or, like you know, whatever, putting chocolate in their plants or, or whatever, this all came out of this um, early 70s boom of pseudoscience around what if plants can feel, mm-hmm. what if they can think, what if they can sense, what if they can communicate, um, which uh, really hit the pop consciousness with this documentary called The Secret, or a bestseller, a 1973 bestseller and subsequent documentary called The Secret Life of Plants. Which I think we refer to, Perry. I mean, isn't The Secret Life of Plants just, do I you, feel like it's in my my common vernacular. Do you, do you think Secret Life of X predate Secret Life of Plants? No. Uh, I mean, I always attend plants to Secret Life of. So the Secret Life of Pets movie is a is a Secret Life pun? of Plants pun, yeah. Wow. That's blowing my mind. Um, I, I, I have not read Secret Life of Plants, but I looked at the documentary yesterday. Oh. And it starts out on pretty, 
you know, it starts out on, it's like most of these Eric Van Donneken things, it starts out on firm scientific ground. It's like, well, you've heard of George Washington Carver, haven't you? Well. And then uh, the Moog music starts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it introduces us to an Indian scientist named um, Bose. Uh, his full name is Jagadish Chandra Bose, who actually was a real radio a pioneer of radio and um microwave technology you know kind of the marconi of india and really the first indian physicist of his stature you know he was knighted and you know you know in the in back in the day when people would unironically say he's a credit to his race what you know that was the <laughs> the kind of thing they would say about right. chandra bose um because you know legitimately a great scientist in many fields but close to the end of his life he became very interested in uh, talking to his plants, basically, okay, and uh, you know, started to to do slightly kookier experience experiments on plants. So after name checking Bose and Carver, the uh, the documentary just veers into really um, really nutty territory of um, you know a guy hooking electrodes up to his plant and then and then thinking about burning up the plant. And, and watching the electrodes go blah, 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 blah. just because uh, because plants are are uh, psionic. Yeah, within five minutes, the movie has gone from you know plants are sensitive to changes in their environment to well plants can clearly read Kevin's mind. Whoa! Uh, and then later they're like they're there's something where they're killing brine shrimp and it really bums out the plant that the that the, these brine shrimp are are, are dying. Um, so the plants are very so, quickly so is this getting. True? Oh yeah. Can plants read your mind? Plants are so bummed about brunch. Okay. Uh, no, that's the thing. So um, these experiments were pretty much wackadoodle stuff. Uh, this is the cold and, fusion of its day. Yes, and and you know, there's no attempt to actually sell the Academy on this. This is a. This oh is a, yeah. It's this, a new age. It's a it's a new age movie. So for, it doesn't have to be rooted in anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they get Stevie Wonder to do the soundtrack it's not a i mean it has some synth on it but it's not you know it's more it's going to be more like a hammond organ and the the movie is full of stevie kind of wandering around i've never i don't see him a lot not wearing glasses but in this in these music videos he's just kind of wandering around waterfalls and and swamps and uh, deserts this is young stevie yeah, he's got you know he's got the his hair kind of looks like a macrame thing that you would put a plant in. It's got the cool beads and and braids. So mid period Stevie, it's not like teenage Stevie. No, it's right around the time of of all his greatest records. It's right on the heels of of talking book and songs in the key of life and yeah. um, but uh, but you don't see him without glasses much. So you really kind of I, I got a little worried about him in this movie because he's just kind of wandering around singing in the in the savanna somewhere. Um, <laughs> At one point, he's like in a, it's standing in a rowboat with a daishiki, like in the middle of a pond. And I'm like, is he just, is he going to be okay? Like, does, does he know how to get to shore? Right. Um, but he did, apparently. <clears throat> Maybe I sh- he can, I shouldn't have been concerned. He just communicates with the brine shrimp and they tell him where the shore is. The plants were like, Stevie. But the, the song, the, let's see if I can find the, the track titles are fantastic. You know, it's, it's, it's a double record. <laughs> Of course. And of course. Once you get started, how can you stop? It's about half instrumental, but half of these songs have, have lyrics and the, the the songs have titles like Venus's flytrap and the bug, come back as a flower, a seeds a star, slash tree medley. This is these are all incredibly sexy song titles. Black Orchid. 
I mean, what could be? <laughs> wow. Dedicated to Pam Greer, maybe? Who well, knows? These are all porn movie titles. Uh, so this has entered the public consciousness, this, this idea that not only are plants um, an important part of the ecosystem, but they are, are friends and fellow citizens on planet Earth that deserve our compassion. Sex partners. Don't think about killing brine shrimp while you're with them. <laughs> Uh, and somehow Mort Garden hooks up with the owners of the, you know, he's a, he's an Mark LA guy. Garson. Sorry. Did I say garden again? Yeah. Mort Garson hooks up with Joel Rapp, the owner of mother earth's plant boutique. And they, nobody remembers to this, you know, Joel Rapp is still alive and, and, uh, Garson's daughter has been interviewed about this and nobody really remembers how this happened, but they came up with the idea that there should be a promotional album of Moog synthesizer music that you would play to your plants because, you know, the main impact of this whole plant conscious thing was people just started feeling like they had to talk to their plants for 20 minutes a day. <laughs> right. You walk in and you're like, hi, how, how was your was day? Yeah. Oh boy. But you know, the plants are, are, are using ESP to calm you down you and chill to talk you to them. They should be able to know uh, how, how the office was today. And if, if, um, Mary Sue was a bitch again, yeah. or somebody took your lunch from the fridge. My plants, I, you know, I keep my plants in the bathroom and so my plants are watching me pee, and that's weird. But maybe the tinkle sound is soothing to them. Like, oh, it's like rain. Maybe. it's it, You know, it, 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 there are some similar sounds on uh, Mother Earth's Plantasia, which is the album that... Uh, he sampled himself peeing? <laughs> well, it's got kind of rain-like sounds. The album is actually really great, I think. Oh. Because... I, and You've I, done a lot more research for this show than you typically do for an omnibus. <laughs> than ever before. <laughs> you watched a movie, you listened to some albums. Uh, that's pretty low-impact work. Yeah, I suppose you know, that's, so. If I wasn't doing that, I would be watching a different movie or listening to a different album. Yeah. Right? Uh, the records, he, all his records from this period, I think are really great because, you know, it's got all the of a, of a, you know, Wendy Carlos's Tron soundtrack, mm -hmm. but because he comes from this kind of easy listening lounge background, it's all very melodic and beautiful mm. and, uh, and relaxing in a way that some of these kind of uptight hooked on classics records are not. Or, Maybe wait. I'm saying hooked, switched on, right? Switched on Bach. Switched on Bach. That's what I'm thinking of. Maybe uh, Mark Miles can drop in a little uh, a little snippet right here of some groovy tunes. Thank you, Mark. Uh, so you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really. I've, I'm soothed right <laughs> out, man. I don't know if we're going to finish this episode. I see your plants um, perking up, but you're uh, kind of but you're kind of whoa. sagging. The album had kind of this fun, um, you know, fun cartoony houseplant on the cover in a very happy 70s style that could be straight from a electric company animation or, you know, right. free to be you and me, uh, uh, nouveau style. And, uh, the album was very rare because it was a promotional item for this little plant boutique on Melrose. And uh, for some reason, the internet has convinced me it was a giveaway with Simmons mattresses at Sears. So really the only way to get this record of, of chill plant music was to buy a Simmons mattress at Sears or to Go to Joel Rapp's plant store. Futurelings cannot see that I am making the Spock raised eyebrow, the dubious raised eyebrow response to this. This is the most surprising thing you've ever heard on Omnibus. That you, Very confusing. That you could get a new age plant synthesizer record. Um, but, um, it's most illogical. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I believe the Simmons mattress thing, but that's uh, that's in the memory of, uh, I think, Mort's daughter. Um 
you know, this the controversy over whether the pseudoscience around plants feeling is not over. Do you do you ever see this in the? It, it's uh, irresistible for people who write pop science headlines. This idea that you know your cactus can feel pain, or yeah. your uh, your fern is smiling at you when you when you open the door. Megan um, and Harry uh, are are killing brine shrimp. <laughs> one one more reason. Uh, Prince I, Charles does talk to his plant. Did I say that already? Does Prince, he? Prince Charles famously talks to his plants every day because he's a weirdo with no friends. <laughs> I, he's trying to justify himself to them. Yeah. My sister is a new ageist. She's not new age adjacent. She is a true new ageist. Right down the plate. And so all of this type of thing, she's, she has said, she's told me repeatedly over the years, every kind of new development in the plants have feelings. Um, genre of, of conversation starters. And you just shrug it off because your chakras are, are clogged. I mean, you know, what I, the person I talk to or the, 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 um, <clears throat> the non-person I talk to in our kitchen is the coffee maker. That's uh. the, that is the relationship I'm trying to develop. Like coffee maker, why are you so hard to interact with? And the coffee maker says, you are bad at interacting with coffee makers. And I'm like, I have done everything right here. I have followed the instructions absolutely impeccably. I mean, coffee makers are becoming more complicated systems. Mm-hmm. If that growth continues, sentient coffee makers are inevitable. I think I was more influenced by 2001 and the relationship to Hal than I was my science project where I played Elton, Elton John for plants. I just think it's a hard sell to imagine plants as sentient. It's counterintuitive. Like this secret life of plants, about half the movie is time-lapse photography mm-hmm. of plants, because if you speed a plant up enough, it will appear to be doing stuff. Sure, waves you know, Yeah, tendrils uh, go point towards the sun, mushroom caps kind of open like a smile, buds happily turn into flowers that might look like a little face. But if you're not taking a picture once a day, you'll have no sense that the plant is really doing anything. And, you know, plants do react to stimuli. Yeah. Plants right. will turn toward the sun. Uh, um, did, a- ancient people worshipped a lot of, uh, you know, what we, what we would describe as pagan, although that's probably cultural imperialism, but um, they did a lot of earth worship, but did they worship plants? I mean, they certainly put pine boughs around, but. There were, there were goddesses of, of. Gods, and especially goddesses of fertility, but they were they were humanoid. They weren't the plants themselves. Yeah, but is that that different than you know the sun god who represents the sun? I mean, they, these guys would just worship anything you put in front of them. But the sun, it's like a horny a horny teenager, god. where no matter you put in front of them, they're like, oh, <laughs> like any stimulus, oh, black orchid. You take a prehistoric person and you're like, check out the moon. He'll be like, oh, I'm gonna wor- gonna worship that. Oh yeah, well here's a uh, here's a thorn bush. Oh, thorn bush god. Save us. Oh, I suppose the burning bush. Oh yeah. Is the ultimate version of the I mean it was the bush, right? Even the... monotheistic religion was inheriting plant worship. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But you know, today the experiments that happen in labs uh that you'll see in science magazines are a little more controlled than I thought about brine shrimp dying. It, there's a famous 2015 experiment in Australia where they took um I think it's called Mimosa pudica. It's that um sensitive plant where you run your finger down the leaves and it kind of folds up. Uh-huh. Have you seen this? But it's not carnivorous. It's not doing that because it thinks you're a fly. No. I don't know. Who knows why it's doing this? It, it can't tell us. Uh, but the um, 
Well, it's, it's if you run your finger gently down a plant, it maybe it's getting turned on. Maybe Whoa. that's why it's folding. Don't in. put that one in your bathroom <laughs> while you pee. Uh, the researchers put it in one of, in this little mount that kind of raised and lowered like one of those carnival rides where your car woo goes up in the air and then drops you a little. Oh, uh-huh. So they put a, a Pudica mimosa in one of those. I'm just picturing them torturing <laughs> this plant. The plant's like, whoa. Well, that's the thing. I'm five feet high. Now I'm one foot high. I mean, if plants are conscious, the worst offenders are these people who are who are essentially doing the equivalent of animal research. It's the one thing a plant would never do in reality. Go on an amusement park ride? Well, just go up and then go down and then go up again. So here's the substance of the experiment. As they do this, at first, every time it gets that little jar, its leaves close. And then gradually reopens. And they give it the little jar again, and its leaves close. But they found if they repeated it dozens of times, the plant would stop closing its leaves. Oh, it gets accustomed to it. Their finding is the plant has learned that that actually was not dangerous, and it can keep its leaves open and wait for a real danger. The plant has learned. The plant is smart like Joshua in war games. The plant is is like a raven or a raccoon. (laughs) Well, and that's the question. Can it open doors? And, you know, critics of the experiment say the plant did not do that. It just got worn out. Right. It, 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 you know, you, you oh. got it to close its leaves so much that it didn't, uh, it didn't have the leave closing, uh, uh, uh anymore. Critics are such killjoys. And the Australian, uh, uh, fluffy researchers say, no, 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 you know, we did more intense things to it after that and it would still close its leaves. Oh. And the killjoys say, no, 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 you that's because you were doing more intense things to it, you know, it's, di- it's difficult because, you know, plants do not have anything like a nervous system. So if you're going to postulate that they have any kind of consciousness, it's going to be happening in some parallel or, or order that we don't understand the structures Spooky of. Spooky action at a distance. Really? Yeah. You're going to have to postulate a new set of cause and effect. You might say, well, there's no brain, but look how complicated the root tips are. Those could be command centers for all kinds of uh, plant operation and behavior. What they should do is after they've bounced this plant up and down for an hour until the leaves stop opening, they should then immediately start going on the Y-axis super fast in one direction, super fast in the other. It's just like when you get off one ride, you go on another to see if you can hurl your lunch. That's right. Try and make the plant bark. And I should make clear that even though there's one of these new plants can feel experiments in the papers every year or so, there was one this morning. Like I got on the internet this morning and they had put hydrogel on a Venus flytrap, and they, they were able to make it open and close at will with, with mild electric currents. Further further proving that this omnibus is the one you have researched the, the most. <laughs> you did three things? It seems like pseudoscience relocating to Australia just makes sense <laughs> to me, right? Like, yeah, it's all, it's all Perth now. Now, the, but the real mainstream botanists have mostly pushed back. There was a big, big splash in 2019 with some guys, including a guy here at UW, who are botanists, reasonable botanists, just fed up by this kooky new age stuff. And they want you to know that there are levels of consciousness, you know, found in many organisms. Hmm. And we have experiments to test them to see if spiders and crabs and birds and raccoons have things oh like memory and learning and intentionality. These are, these are things you can actually test. And finding out that plants appear to occasionally, uh, you know, are capable of some kind of classical conditioning or at least behavior that looks to the outside like classical conditioning, that ain't it. When a plant folds its leaves to say, some pig, I'll believe it. (laughs) 
Um, so even though that discussion goes on, and you know it's still more current than ever, perhaps this is what has led to the internet rediscovery of Mother Earth's Plantasia. Um, actually, that's not true. I know what led to the discovery of Mother Earth's Plantasia, and that is DJ Shadow sampling it hey. in uh, in introducing you know one of his many unauthorized samples. Right. And this thing had been this thing had been a rarity for for many years, you know, because they only printed a few hundred. I don't know how many mattresses or uh, bamboos people <laughs> bought. <laughs> Uh, it's like how we all rediscovered Pink Moon. Exactly. From the, from, from the car right. commercial. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you can pretend you were into New Drake in the 90s, but you weren't into you New were Drake not. in no, the 90s. You were not. Um, in this case, uh, the fact that it had been sampled and then it turned out to be such an odd disc from this odd uh, period of culture with this odd artwork um, by this odd guy uh, really caught people's attention. And it started to get passed around on YouTube. Uh, a documentary was kickstarted to try to find out what's the deal with this weird uh, curio of a record. It's call me and say one, please, and call an insanancusal. Exactly. All it's, right. It's a it's a, the botanical version of please and call an insanancusal. Uh, and finally, in 2019, a, a small internet record company did re-release Mother Earth's Plantasia. You no longer have to pirate it if you would like to uh, if you would like to hear the music of the plants, which one reviewer has called. Putting the putting the synthesizer back in photosynthesizer, oh. or or avant garden music, you can now get it from this tiny record company, which released it on green vinyl, uh, or in a very limited edition on eight track. If you would like to hear Mother Earth's Plantasia in a form on which it was never available. Now those are my people, the ones that are still listening to Mother Earth's Plantasia on a on an eight track. Are you gonna Are you gonna get it on eight track? You know, I have a eight track player in the headboard of my uh, purple <laughs> of your waterbed bed. Yeah, <laughs> of your circular waterbed. Yeah, built into it. So, well, you can play it for your plants. It's like a. It's the the cover of Mother Earth's Plantasia is. It looks like it has a Shel Silverstein. Uh, yes, it's goofy, naive children's illustration. It's yeah. like you think a Sesame Street guy with a big nose is going to come out and say, P, <laughs> plants, P. And that concludes Mother Earth's Plantasia, entry 810.1CH1633, certificate number 27581 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the very likely event that you are a sentient plant and have been listening to this episode alternately fascinated and furious. This is the first music for your people. This is like probably the equivalent of some kind of terrible minstrel show or something. Well, this may be the thing that brought about consciousness in plants. They may have responded <laughs> to this record and been like, yeah, there just There just wasn't good enough music before? That means you yeah. could play music for coffee makers, Brian Eno's music for coffee makers, to your coffee maker, hmm. and it would come alive. I'm gonna take my uh, I'm gonna take my Roland Juno 106 and take it upstairs and be like. I mean, if we have plant listeners, really, plant consciousness is thought of as uh, you know this amazing new age movement, but it really has disturbing ethical hmm. consequences. If we actually do prove that the plants are thinking and feeling all around us, every time you make a cup of tea, it's a it's a crime against sure, plant like, animals. Like every salad is as bad as veal. I mean, it really would legitimize any kind of uh, devouring of nature because there's no there's no safe, sentient, free vegetarian alternative. I mean, we anymore. are human beings are the virus here. Sure, Those, that guy that zapped the Venus flytrap to try to communicate with it, like he's a mingala. He's making a, a he's trying to turn them into robots. Like that guy's going to be. That's the first slave ship of the of the 
plant, uh, whatever, Terminator peon robot movement. Well, on the, uh, on behalf of, uh, of Ken and myself, uh, we apologize future plants for, for grossly misunderstanding your sentience. I mean, we talk often about the, uh, the Aspens, which as you know, uh, you know, all have record players now. And the, the elevate tracks, the mycological, mycological, uh, um, like a universe of, of peoples. So if those aspens are quivering, don't come delivering. They say, ding, quaking. They don't quiver. They quake. They quake. If the aspens are quaking, don't come, uh, baking, baking, mm. maybe faking. Don't come faking. <laughs> Good words to live by. <laughs> um, Anyway, you can communicate with us through a time portal uh, by tweeting at Ken Jennings. Um, you can uh, you can find us on uh, what I hope is the eternal funding source of Patreon at <laughs> patreon.com slash omnibus project. It will be the uh, it will be a few the future government basically will be Patreon. I'm also on Patreon at John Roderick. Uh, you can email us, and please do. Ken will read your emails, and then once a month will send me sort of a digest of every email that mentions my name. It's a service I provide, and in fact, I'll do that for any listener. If you want oh. me to just go through your email once a month and kind of tell you what's up. Tell you, well, TLDR. Yeah, tell you if, if anyone mentions you. Periodically, <laughs> periodically, he sends me these, you know, the, the ones that are like, oh, by the way, John. But the rest of them, he, you know, the ones that are addressed to Ken, I never get to read. Well, if it's a personal message, you know, generally they're saying something to the show. Right. Do, do you want to see all of those? Yeah, you don't. Give it's going to be like you either. guys said. Eastman Kodak was founded in 1896. In <laughs> fact, it didn't change its name until Eastman Kodak until 1897. Yeah, don't send me those. That's kind of what I thought. Um, you can uh, interact with the futurelings with your fellow ferns at uh, any one of the social media sites. Under the heading Futurelings, that includes Reddit and Discord and Discourse, presumably. Especially Facebook. And you can mail us wonderful packages of the soil you grew up in. Don't ma- don't mail us soil, please, but um, especially it's prob- it's not night illegal. soil. Yeah, don't send us your night soil. <laughs> oh, right. It would be in violation of all these uh, don't, uh, don't transport fruit across state lines. I did some hike in Hawaii and you had to like um, brush off your boots before and after in case you had a little burr or seed pod or spore stuck to you. That happens to me all the time. I fly to Hawaii covered with spores. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, you That's, go through one of those chemical, uh, those chemical exposure showers where you have to stand in the airport and just get hosed. That's because they know about what you were doing in the, the American Express Spore Lounge. <laughs> uh, you can mail us things at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. We haven't uh, recorded in a bit, so I've got a ton of mail here. I see that. Lorenzo from Queensland, the land of um, plant experimentation has sent you uh, uh, Vegemite. Did, oh. you, did you disparage Vegemite? You know, uh, my friends in, uh, in Inglang are fond of feeding me whatever their version of Vegemite is. Marmite. That, uh, Marmite, which is just awful. You know, they'll hand me, like, as a joke on the tour bus, the, the guys in Keene used to put Marmite on a piece of toast, and I love toast. And <laughs> hey, I, hey, we all love toast. <laughs> I always assume that a, that toast with a spread on it is going to be good. I assume it's a kind of jam. And they would put Marmite on it, and it, it 
smells and tastes like feet. If peanut butter and gel and or jam had never been invented, sure. Take take um this yeast stuff from your lab and put it on bread. I'm sure it's very nourishing. They don't use peanut butter because apparently that has that's one of the things like root beer that never made it across the the pond. But I, I am I'm repulsed by it. But I also don't like Nutella. Weird. Yeah, because I like a hazelnoose, but put it in a chocolate bar where it belongs. Don't grind it up and put it on bread. You have uh, a single serving. Oh, he know, didn't it, send me a giant jar. He sent me this. Well, it, it's hilarious to me that they have these like the way we would have um, butter or ketchup and or Taco Bell sauce in a little pack. They have they have Vegemite. those of Vegemite, and he lets you know that this is this is actually enough. This tiny amount could give you two or three pieces of toast. Maybe Ooh. you're using too much. Is he going to make me a Vegemite sandwich? Uh, he says it's up to you. Um, put butter on the toast first, okay. and then a slight smearing oh, of the soap. Little tiny smear. Maybe the problem is Americans just use too much. That might be it. We 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 use it as though it were jam. I think you're going to be a little more excited by what Andrew said. Andrew is a cartoonist who, like most of our listeners, draws plus size furry romance comics. Um. And he's a fan both of the podcast and Legos. We recently did a Lego show. Does he? Is this like uh, Omaha the Sex Cat? Does he draw furry plus size sex comics? Uh, I'm gonna assume yes. He's not, I, Andrew's I, not here to answer for it. Yeah, so I would I'm gonna say sign absolutely up for that. Yeah. So please subscribe, John Andrew. Um, he has sent you a Lego Porsche. Oh, how cool! It's a 930. 911 turbo actually. Well, I know, but a 911 turbo is actually a 930, I think. Sure. That's what they, you know, this is all internal Porsche talk. This is we'll save it for the save it for the 911 show, John. This is the 420 show. Oh, that is a hot car. It's pretty great. That is great. And this is uh going to be very exciting for your daughter. He sent the Millennium Falcon. <gasps> in, in in bag form. This is crazy because we are currently Building an X-wing fighter upstairs. I saw it comes with Luke, Leia, R2D2, and General Dodonna. In case yeah. you don't have a General Dodonna, to I, play we with. actually had a long conversation about General Dodonna yesterday because I was like, "Who?" But it, now we have the Millennial Falcon. The kids today are not ready for a world in which old white men run the rebellion. Yeah, what are we talking? Because we've got hip, uh, uh, multicultural Oscar Isaacs running our our movement now. Right, but General Dodonna was what, there was a time when they all looked like Charlton Heston in 1975. It was like, well, we got to get a white-haired guy. <laughs> They'll know what's up. But look at this. How cool is that? And even best of all, <laughs> he actually made a little Ken and John uh, set of oh, minifigures let here. let me see. Oh. See, see what you think about the likeness. Nice catch. Let's see. Um, that looks very much like you, except it's smirking in a Lego way, in, and that's a way you never smirk. And I look like how I'm gonna look. Yeah, your your beard's a little white, but you know what? Your beard is kind of getting white. It's, it's just that my beard is a little long, and uh, my daughter always wants me to grow my beard longer. So maybe this is my you know why she wants you to look more like a minifigure. This is mint inbox Millennium Falcon, except you took it out of the box for shipping. Look the the decals and instructions never been opened. Did this come from the land down under? No. Oh, that would have cost. Ten thousand dollars to <laughs> yeah. ship. You know, you're. This was Andrew, not Lorenzo. Oh, I see. The one, uh, the one of you, you're wearing an argyle sweater and a bow tie, which if which if, I always wear. If it doesn't actually express your fashion sense, it it expresses your inner fashion. I sense. show up here and you're like, "What's up, Tucker Carlson? Yeah, how's let, it going let, there, Point Todd Starnes? Let's do a podcast, listeners." 
From our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.